The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Give us a call today on 0891-104-208. That number again, 0891-104-208. You can also SMS us right now on 34701. Tweet or Facebook the show AM Live on SAFM. On to the Forum at 8 this morning. Welcome to the show. My name is Darshan Mudley. Today we're examining the Democratic Alliance's 2014 election manifesto, officially launched in Polokwane Limpopo yesterday. Economic growth and job creation were the key focus parts of uh, the DA's election manifesto. The party questioned the ANC's position on jobs in its manifesto. The ANC said it would create 6 million job opportunities by 2019, but the ANC's main opposition, the DA says, that promise is a farce, and that they, the DA, had alternative policies to create what they term real jobs. When I spoke to Professor Stephen Friedman earlier on during the program, in his reaction to the various manifestos that were launched, the ACDP, UCDP, EFF, and the DA, he said much of this was pie-in-the-sky dreams, and that this offer of alternative policies weren't based on any practical implementation. So, is the DA falling victim to its own accusation that it uh, levels against the ANC this morning? On the Forum at 8, we're asking you to tell us your thoughts on the DA's manifesto. If you heard it yesterday, give us your reaction. And this morning, we'll get into more detail with the DA as they unpack what was included in the election manifesto to win your vote this uh, 2014 election. Joining me on the line, Member of Parliament, and he's the Shadow Minister for Finance for the Democratic Alliance, Mr. Tim Harris, good morning. Morning, Darshan. And uh, he's joining us from our Seapoint studios this morning, so that's why the line is so clear. Lebahang Pecho is uh, joining us on the line this morning. She's a policy and economic analyst, director of Trade Collectors. Lebahang, always a pleasure to speak to you. Good morning. Hi, Lebahang. Hi, Lebahang. Yes, we, okay. I'm here. Okay, we've got you a little bit, a little bit softly on the line. We're going to try and pick your volume up. As, but Tim Harris, okay. of course, is uh, joining us as well. Lebahang, thank you very much for your time this morning. And Tim, if we can if we can start with you, I mean, let's let's start with the venue that you chose for this launch, Polokwane. You you know, we heard uh, Helen Zilla talking yesterday, saying she painted the place blue. The azure sky was even part of uh, the blue theme for the day. Why did you decide to hold this in Polokwane? Well, I think it it was a a very strong signal that the the DA is a party that's interested in making gains nationally. Obviously, we've controlled the Western Cape for five years, and I think it's clear that we've turned this province into the best-run province in the country. And there's a big focus on Gauteng for for this year's election, uh, and we're polling very strongly there, and there's a big groundswell of support. In Gauteng, but clearly the, indic- the, the level of support that we got on the ground in Limpopo yesterday is very encouraging for our growth right around the country. And I think that's the signal that was sent. And when you saw those uh, almost 20,000 supporters stream into that venue, uh, there's no doubt anymore that the, that the DA is not a party with broad reach across South Africa geographically, culturally, racially. Every South African is now... Um, aware of the DA's message and more and more of them are, are coming over to our vision for a South Africa that actually works. I mean, do you agree with Mr. Harris here? This is uh, you know, a place where the DA traditionally doesn't have a stronghold, so they've gone to a place, a new province outside of Gauteng in the Western Cape and shown a significant number of people that were willing to attend its manifesto launch. I mean, is, is this important for us? I think it's important in terms of, of course, illustrating that the DA is trying to reinvent itself um, and is in a constant state of reinvention as a party which is broad-reaching, broad-based, 
um, representative of a whole host of class and race interests in this country, um, and that it doesn't necessarily, it's, it's certainly trying to divest itself of its traditional um, brand or image of being a very white, very middle class or even upper class party. And I think in the last 10 years, it's, con- it's succeeded quite considerably in appealing to a far larger constituency, whether or not that is going to be, when, when that's going to begin to translate into perhaps being the new government is a different question. But I think in terms of the gains that they've made over the last five to ten years, there's no doubt that they've been one of the fastest, if not the far, you know, the fastest growing party in this country. Going to Bunny, of course, which is a very rural, one of the poorest um, provinces in this country. Um, no, perhaps no coincidence, it can stand directly, perhaps no coincidence that it's also Julius Malema's home province. It's been a very difficult mm. province for the ANC over the last few years. Um, the scene of the, the textbook, um, the textbook saga, the scene of a lot of governance issues, um, the, the, the province, one of the provinces which was brought under state administration. So perhaps the DA taking the fight to the, to, 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 to the heart of, to the heart of a lot of contradictions. So far removed from your, your power base then, Mr. Harris, how many people did you manage to attract on the day? Well, the estimates are, are somewhere between fifteen and, and 20,000, so it's uh, definitely on the larger side. Um, Where did I they come from? Well, we, we had many people coming from Limpopo itself. We had people coming in from the surrounding provinces, from the northwest, from Mpumalanga. There were some people there from Gauteng. Even a couple of people I know uh, went up from the Western Cape. So uh, it was very much a national rally, but I think the symbolism of being as Lebohang said, um, in, in, in the province where really many of the ANC's failures are centered, um, sends a powerful signal to voters. Lebohang Peko, was this rent a crowd or did the DA have members willing and eager to be there? I am not in no position to comment on whether they are rented. I would, I would want to imagine that um, any party which has integrity is able to attract a particular and credible number of people who are interested and convinced of their messaging. And I think, you know, for people to go out in the hot sun, get on buses, um, hitchhike, walk, take taxis, drive across the country, across the province, and Popo itself is a huge province, as you're aware, I would imagine that there's something that has compelled them. I also think that in a broader, you know, to speak more broadly, that it also illustrates the extent to which the, the, our party politics and our opposition politics has reached a level of maturing over the last few years, and I think I'd say COP was a watershed moment because I think for the first time we saw a viable new opposition movement which actually for a few minutes, you know, for a few political moments seems to be credible enough to attract a traditional, the traditionally um, African voters, you know, traditional ANC loyalists. And I think for the last couple of years we've seen more and more parties and more and more movements and more and more conversations that actually consider the a, a possibility of a life without the ANC in government. And I think opposition politics for the last few years has become more bullish. It is less, much less about being, you know, opposing for the sake of being in opposition, but presenting and articulating alternatives which might actually be seen to be viable, which might actually be seen to be possible. And, you know, about creating alternative narratives. And I think that there's a certain bullishness right now which is being you know, manifested in not just as a result, as a reaction to so-called service delivery strikes, to labor relations, and, and it's just really um, the kind of fractious relationships that we are seeing at community and labor level. But I think these all are part of building a credibility to the notion that 
people, a lot more people might be a lot more ready for different sorts of um, mm. alternatives. It's a quarter past eight. Give us a call right now. Let's get on to the main issues of the DA's manifesto. We talked a little bit about the color, the way that they did it, but let's look at what they had to say in the manifesto now. Give us a call, 0891-104-208-34701 if you'd like to SMS us. Mr. Harris, the main focus, many, you know, reading the newspapers from the weekend or even this morning, many would say that the, the focus of the DA was a promise on addressing jobs and the promise on addressing this economy and the growth of this economy. You promised to deliver an 8% growth rate and create 6 million real and permanent jobs. Who will create those jobs? How will you create those jobs? Well, I think w- what you heard yesterday in the speeches that were given, that were given particularly Helen Zilla's speech, is South Africa is ready for change, but that change needs to bring jobs. Um, you, you saw many of the speakers stand up and say, uh, that the DA is a party that's not white-orientated, as some of our critics might say. It's increasingly diverse. You only had to look across at the crowd there mm-hmm. yesterday to see that th- this is a party that represents all South Africans mm-hmm. and a party that's committed to redressing the legacy of apartheid. Helen sketched out how we have bet- we have ideas to make sure that broad-based BE actually empowers ordinary people, that it creates jobs, and showing that the DA supports the dream that we think um, Nelson Mandela embodied in 1994 and we we see that although the ANC has made um, incredible strides in some respects in the past 20 years broadly uh, the ANC under Jacob Zuma has taken us backwards we see corruption is entrenched and unemployment is is increasing so as you say our focus is very much Mm. on jobs so we want to bring this change but it it has to be change that uh, that creates jobs mr harris i think we're we're getting a little bit away from it but i you know i want to just pick on this this very precise thing you you say jobs or miss zilla actually yesterday to quote her she said jobs are possible six million real and permanent jobs are within our grasp if we seize the moment at this election, we will stop politicians and their families doing business with government. And I think you touched on the latter part. Let's touch on the former. How are you going to create the six million real and permanent jobs? Well, firstly, just to clarify that, uh, that target of the six million jobs and the eight percent growth, we, we are working on the basis of a set of policies that have been tested uh, by researchers uh, at the Reserve Bank. They um, published a paper that suggested if you implement the right reforms in South Africa over 10 years, you can reach up to eight percent growth and create six million jobs. We see many parallels with the policies they're proposing and what we're proposing. We, we need to first Firstly, make sure that we turn South Africa into a nation of opportunities. We have a whole broad set of proposals that enhance support for entrepreneurs, but importantly, cut the red tape that holds um, many of those entrepreneurs back. So it's not you creating these jobs. You're simply creating an enabling environment so business can create those jobs. Is that right? Absolutely. But the government has a key role in, in, in not only creating the environment, but providing the specific incentives and policies that lead to businesses creating more jobs. But that said, you you, you described earlier uh, our position on the ANC's EPWP work Mm. opportunities as a farce. I would never say that. In fact, the DA has a very strong commitment to EPWP work opportunities. The big difference between what we're saying and the the ANC is that that's all the ANC has Mm. on jobs. As far as the DA is concerned, EPWP work opportunities provide a very important poverty alleviation and step out of poverty for um, South Africans. But we have to go further. We have to work 
work out what needs to be done to make sure that the economy creates jobs outside of government's intervention. And that requires, as you say, building an environment where businesses can create jobs. But it also requires the government to intervene strongly on the skill side. We have to make sure that we fix mm-hmm. the education system, that we give South Africans entrepreneurships, uh, internships, chances to uh, develop their skills so that they become competitive in the labor market. Miss mm-hmm. Pecker, what, what do you think on that? I mean, is the DA putting all its eggs in one basket, faith in business to create these jobs if they create the conditions for business to thrive in the country? Well, I think it, 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 um, I've, I've been sort of reading the, the, the manifesto in, in some detail and trying to apply my mind to how this would actually play itself mm. out in practical terms. What kind of economic um, reforms and what, what sort of ec- economic restructuring is necessary to then put in place, you know, the six million jobs and even to create an enabling, you know, environment as Tim, as Tim, as Tim has clarified it. And I think that there are a couple of things that come to mind. The one thing is that our manufacturing sector has to be galvanized considerably. Second thing is that our banking and our financial monetary policy really has to be galvanized also or shifted in ways that then provide incentives to smaller businesses, our tax, the kind of tax breaks that we're willing to give to smaller businesses in this country. And that's possibly be one of the, the, the one of the, the sticky points because certainly from 2008 when, um, well, America's recession put the rest of the world in a, in a bit of a hole, um, that a lot of businesses, two thirds of the businesses that went under in this country would have been businesses which, 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 which scale, which make three million rands or less per year. Really, really small businesses. And this is where the bulk of employment is actually created. So I think I agree in terms of the principle that small businesses need to be supported, but the question is is, is the how. Mm. The other point is that at a time when global economies are truncating, especially our traditional trading partners, as we're all we're aware of, um, the European Union is in its own state of flux, um, the United States is in, a, is, in a, is, in a, is in a state of what I call false recovery. It's absolutely not going to be sustained, um, and they have, they have subsidized and recreated created um, jobs and, 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 and employment which are not actually sustainable. Their economy cannot sustain. So I think America is creating a false bubble for itself. We should look east, um, as we are very fond of doing in this country. Um, Indonesia is the only country that I can look to at the moment in, which, in, in terms of their ability to um, control their currencies in a way that has then attracted foreign direct investment and kept their growth path quite positive. India, as we, as, should, as we should also be aware, has really been flagging over the last few. So I'm just looking globally, but it's really counter-cyclical. We are really pushing upstream if we expect to be able to create the kind of environment which a lot of our peers and a lot of economies are larger than us are not able to sustain at the moment. And the reality is that those are our primary trading partners. And unfortunately, we are linked with their fortunes or misfortunes at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and unless we are able to recreate um, trading partnerships with more, less traditional partners and, of course, intra-Africa trade, we are not going to be able to see for the next couple of generations, economic generations, really different ways of doing things, really different economic outcomes. And I also think that um, um, when we talk about investing in knowledge, and I think that's very important, and I, um, I'm just noting that here on the DA Manifesto, not creating and, and, and shifting the knowledge economy doesn't happen very quickly. It's not really a case of, you know, going off for a six-month course at a college and, and coming back skilled. Mm-hmm. These things 
that has to be foundational from the education system and, and you know, it takes a generation or two to create the kind of knowledge economy that is then going to link into the, a new kind of a market economy. Let's, let's, so hold, I, it, I let's hold it there, Ms. Pecker. It's 23 minutes after 8. We want to invite you to give us a call today as well because you're the one who's going to be, de- you know, uh, voting for the DA or voting for parties in this election. Hopefully you have registered and maybe you have until, uh, I believe, by the time that the uh, date is gazetted, which is tomorrow, uh, the president uh, will be gazetting the date, so you won't have a chance to register after tomorrow. So you still have a chance today. 34701, if you'd like to talk to us, give us a call. 0891 I still want to find out from the day, how are they going to incentivize business to create these jobs? How will they support business? As they say, the devil's in the details, but we need to know what the details are, if there's a devil that exists in them. This investment in knowledge as well, we need to find out. And are there, is there a similar trajectory, as Lebakang Peko is uh, suggesting, in Indonesia and, in, and India that we're pursuing here in South Africa to meet the objectives of creating jobs? I'd love to get into that discussion. 25 minutes after 8, stay with us. The South African Trade, Investment and Tourism Promotion Guide, in partnership with SAFM, will be hosting monthly radio broadcasts to promote trade and investment opportunities to local business and foreign investors. We invite business from all sectors to join us at the Kimberley Club in Kimberley on the 28th of February 2014. To participate for free, contact Boyce Sachanelli at 082-923-4402 or email at rsvp at bbmmedia.co.za. How smart is a smartphone? If you're not on the smartest network, get the completely unlimited mobile deal which gives you unlimited calls, unlimited data, and even unlimited SMSs with the Samsung Galaxy S4 smartphone at just $1499 per month from Telcom. Only on SA's best broadband network. Call 10213, visit telcomshop.coza, or go to your nearest Telcom store. T's and C's apply. Rethink smart network. Telcom. When we had to borrow money to renovate, we knew who to speak to. We're already apps are customers. They know us best. Gave us a great interest rate on our personal loan. Now, honey, speak to someone about keeping this pool blue. Uh oh. <laughs> Sometimes a little credit is all it takes to prosper. SMS loan to 31513 or visit any APSA branch today. APSA, member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Standard SMS rates and rules apply. Tune in to SAFM between 10 and 12 p.m. on the 28th of February for the live recording of the Living Legend concert featuring Faya Faku on the Best of Jazz with a repeat broadcast on the 1st of March between 9 and 12 midnight. To stand a chance of winning a pair of tickets, SMS the keyword Legends and your name to 34766. Limited tickets are available at CompuTicket if you'd like to be a part of the live audience. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, making history. SMSs cost 150 and free SMSs don't apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Daichi Safaho tweets us, uh, the same song they're singing today is the same song sung by the ruling party before 94. They had all the powers during apartheid era and the new parliament before the ANC, but they failed South Africans by not using their voice to oppose racism. They must tell us how they're going to create those jobs. That's my question to the DA's Tim Harris this morning. Mr. Harris, that, could you give us some clarity on how you're going to incentivize business to do this? Well, let's run through a couple of highlights on the policy. Firstly, mm. we... 
we were disappointed when the youth wage subsidy was watered down to the extent that it was, and we would implement the full uh, strong youth wage subsidy that was originally on the table. That will benefit around 423,000 young people over three years. We also focus many of our incentives in something that we call job zones. So you might know about the um, IDZs, which the government's turning into special economic zones. Mm -hmm. We think the whole program should be overhauled, and when a business invests in those zones, they should get very bold uh, tax breaks and cuts in in regulatory compliance costs, including around some of the labor laws. We want to see companies investing in those job zones that are going to create hundreds of thousands of jobs. Um, then thirdly, as I said, we, 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 we believe that government has a role to play in making sure that South Africans have the skills they, um, they need to get the jobs that companies uh, provide. So we, we think that uh, government internships play a big role, and we, we've got very strong incentives for companies to take on mm-hmm. apprentices, because without uh, the skills uh, for South Africans to get those jobs, it doesn't matter how many um, uh, job opportunities businesses create. We need to match the demand side and the supply side. And then, as I said earlier, the, uh, aside from our focus on helping incentivize large companies and larger companies to employ, we have a uh, specific focus on giving South Africans the ability to start and grow their own businesses. So there's a big focus on, on small business, and we, we package our, our small business proposals around two uh, main pillars. The one is the idea of an opportunity center, which is one place where uh, an aspirant entrepreneur can go to get all of the information they need uh, to help them write a business plan, but then importantly, to fill out all of the government documentation that they need to set up that business. That's the Department of Labor, SARS, all of the other regulatory hurdles. And then we want to give them what we call an opportunity card because we, we, re- we recognize that there's a lot of supports available to entrepreneurs currently, but we, we find that the that entrepreneurs don't know what that support is and they don't know where they can get it. The awareness of support for small business is very low. We think if we can offer all of those services and all of that financial support through one opportunity card, we can cut through the clutter and an aspirant entrepreneur can take that card and say, I can get all of the support I need through this card. I can access financial support, non-financial support, and the various vouchers and subsidies that the DIA government would provide to support me starting and growing my small business. So what did you think on that? Uh, Chris in Joburg, Michael in Cape Town, Mike in Middleburg. I'll take your calls right after we speak to Rowena Bird. Do you think that the DA can deliver on this promise of uh, creating 6 million jobs in South Africa and also on this promise of 8% uh, growth? And they say if they can deliver on those jobs, unemployment will drop to 11%. We'll also talk about education. Lack of money, according to Helen Zilla, should not stand in your way of uh, wanting to study further in South Africa. How do they plan to do that? Uh, Nesva's budget, they want to increase to 16 billion rand. How will that help to those who are denied education in South Africa? We'll get into that conversation with uh, Lebohang Peko and uh, Tim Harris, who joins me on the line. 8.30, now time for your news headlines. Here's Vibakshini Chetty. 27 minutes to 9, coming up, morning talk with Rowena Bird. Rowena, good morning. Good morning, Dash, and have you had a good weekend? 
We have had a very good weekend. How's yours been? It's been great, thank good you. To hear. Coming up on Morning Talk today, we will take a look at the issue of satanic killings in South Africa. So often we read and hear about these types of murders. So today we've decided to get to the bottom of this practice, find out where it originates, and uh, who is more susceptible to joining satanism, and how widespread is it in our country. So we'd like you to join us as we explore this dark and dangerous world. You will remember in the State of the Nation address President Jacob Zuma mentioning that sign language will become part of the school curriculum from next year. We'll find out what that will entail and uh, we're going to speak to the National Director of Deaf SA. On psychological matters today we will talk about family secrets and the devastating effects of keeping family secrets and if you do disclose who do you tell and, and what's the best way of telling a family secret. More on that a little later. And then finally today we will focus on the call by IFP MP Mario Ambrosini, this for government to legalize marijuana for medicinal purposes. And we did speak about this very briefly last week, but I don't think we did justice to it. So today we'll get a more in-depth analysis from a medical as well as a legal perspective on this matter. And that's the show for today, Darshan. Thank you. The second annual SA Premier Business Awards will be held on the 19th of March in Santon, Gauteng, and entries are now open. The awards recognize business excellence in South Africa and honor enterprises that promote the spirit of success, innovation, job creation, quality, and good business ethics. The event is organized by the Department of Trade and Industry, Proudly South African, and Brand SA. Entries close on the 28th of February. For more information and entry forms, visit sapremierbusinessawards.co.za. When we had to borrow money to renovate, we knew who to speak to. We're already APSA customers. They know us best. Gave us a great interest rate on our personal loan. Now, honey, speak to someone about keeping this pool blue. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Sometimes a little credit is all it takes to prosper. SMS loan to 31513 or visit any APSA branch today. APSA, member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Standard SMS rates and rules apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Mandla Matsubula on Facebook says, as long as they've got the interests of the people of Mzansi, then I don't see any problem why they should not be in power. That's uh, Krill Mpumalangu who writes in as well saying, uh, I wonder what the DA can do for us. They fail the people of the Western Cape. Discrimination and racism preside the DA-led government. I don't think they can change anything rather than promoting racism and discriminating indirectly by using black faces to buy their votes. Kulikani Mbata says, I'm not impressed at all. Madam Zilla, she's always focusing on Jacob Zuma rather than focusing on DA policies and implementation. She never gives us clarity on DA and Ahang's saga. How can you trust Zilla, whose organization is being funded by Israelites who are oppressing Palestinians for their independence? Well, we need to clarify some of those questions that come up from uh, those Facebook comments. But uh, let's go to the lines then. We've been waiting to hear from you. Chris, Michael, and Mike. We'll take Chris first up. Chris and Joba, good morning. Good morning, good morning, Justin. Hi, and, Chris. And, uh, and, your, and your guest. I think the first one that I wanted to make, uh, your, your SMSs and Facebook comments has made it. Can the, the true DA truly come out? And one, what I mean by that is that can the DA do not paint a glossy picture, make as if in, in the Western Cape there are no problems. There are protests there. People are complaining about traders. But if DA has really re- truly reinvented itself, why is it silent on issues of land? Uh, the, the last two points is, mm-hmm. what really, me as a young working person, what really takes away the cash from my pocket? These issues around medical aids. 
what is the DA saying about the national insurance, national health insurance plan? Because that really takes a single hold. In order for me to, I, I pay my monthly subscription to a medical aid, but before the end, is, the, year, the year is over, I'm told that I cannot access private health care. What is the DA uh, uh, alternative to that? And lastly, amongst the young people, the two things that we all do not want to, to, to approach and be honest about is that many of the young people are unemployable, not only unemployed. Uh, we know that government and labor and the social sector have, have signed what we call a youth employment charter. What is that DA saying? Those are two things, and I think I want to, re- I want to reiterate what many of your commentators have been saying mm. on Facebook and Twitter. Can okay. the truth DA come out? Chris, thanks for that call there, Chris and Joburg. Lots of issues there, and we still have to get Michael and Mike on the line as well. Michael in Cape Town, the DA had a rental crowd, you say, Michael? Now, what, I'm, what I wanted to say was uh, hopefully in the future when, when uh, you have ANC guests on your program and, you ha- and they have meetings in Cape Town with the buses standing outside, you ask them the same question. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I just want to know what happened to Stephen Friedman because normally after such a successful DA event, he would be on SABC with all his anti-DA propaganda. He was on, he was on this morning, Michael. Oh, well, that's not surprising. Yeah. No, I'm just surprised not on your program as well because he was would, he would, he would normally on there to counteract any success of the DA. Has since since the big since 1994, he's been saying the DA won't get any votes, or any new support. As the DA grows and grows and grows, so it's just interesting that he's not on the program. Thank okay. you, Michael. Thanks for your comment there, Michael in Cape Town. Mike in Middleburg, is it Mike? Good morning. Yes, morning, and thanks a million for taking my call. You're welcome, Mike. Yes, I've I've listened with interest to Mr. Harris a while ago, saying that. Uh, ANC has uh, done massive, incredible strides over the past 20 years. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited uh, by this acknowledgement and admission, but you must be careful because this is contrary to what his colleagues are saying. They always say uh, there's been a misrule for, 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 for the past 20 years, so he might lose his job. He must be very careful. But also, I listened to Stephen Friedman saying that uh, at first, DA was uh, preparing to garner 30% of the votes, and after seeing the reality, the massive support of the ANC, they have reduced that percentage now. I'm not sure. I want him to, to confirm that, whether it will go down uh, less than 20%. And lastly, I want to say the realistic to measure uh, how DA is governing. Let us look no further than uh, Kailija and all the cuckoos there in the Western Cape. You you go there, you would see electric wires, you know, uh, hovering above, and uh, you can see that danger uh, can take place at any given time. Right. I thank you. Thanks for that call there, Mike in Middleburg. Lots of issues to get into. Uh, Tim Harris, but perhaps we can start with this question of funding. It came up from uh, the uh, SMS that Kulakani wrote into us asking, you know, where does the money come from? And there was even an SMS earlier on, which um, I have I read out during the show, and it came in uh, from Stabada Kuali saying, I wonder what you can do for us if you don't tell us where your money comes from. I mean, if you're talking about how we can afford our our manifesto, I I think that's what what you're you're speaking to. We actually, a little bit later this morning, I'll be releasing our alternative budget where we cost the manifesto, where we take the fiscal constraints 
<coughs> that we have in South Africa and show how we can save money by primarily cutting corruption and making government more streamlined and efficient and what we will spend that additional money on, where we will offer tax breaks and where we'll, we'll be able to fund the programs that you read in our manifesto. And where does the, the funding for the party come from? Chorus in, uh, in Zangoma Limpopo tweeted earlier saying, if political parties are privately and secretly funded, is it even possible to have a totally corrupt-free government, something that you want to, to achieve in this country? Well, we have, like any party, we have donors from uh, right across the country. We have uh, ordinary people that chip in to, to support the party. We have entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs we have businessmen. Um, we, our funding sources are uh, kept secret because we don't believe that the ANC will behave uh, fairly towards our donors um, if they realize that they're supporting us. So our, our position on this is clear. Um, under a DA government, we will make sure that party funding is transparent. But in the current uh, climate of intimidation, that's simply not possible. Um, Can't you cross that bridge when you approach it? Well, the problem is it'll cut off our donations before we even get there because the ANC has shown at every turn that they're prepared to uh, alienate people that show um, support for anybody that isn't the ANC. So I think uh, that's, uh, uh, that's the position on party funding. Um, and uh, we maintain the secrecy of our donors for that very reason. The ANC just simply can't be trusted to act fairly. Ms. Pecker? Le- uh, I mean, what, what, what do you make of that? The DA is saying, well, we can't tell you who our funders are because the ANC is going to employ bully boy tactics against those funders and scare them off. It's possible. Um, it's possible. I also think that, you know, these sorts of disclosures need to take place in the light of, in a, within a culture of consistency um, and within a culture which enables that, that consistency to be seen as transparency transparent and, you know, being transparent and having integrity. However, if, if there's any possibility, uh, I think a lot of us as observers and analysts and commentators would like to see a situation where we are far more able to understand and assess where party political funding is taking place in case of um, situations where this influences policy or in, in case of instances where there might actually be some form of a conflict of interest. And I think that um, we would be interested to see that only in so far as we are interested in understanding where the money comes from and who, 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 who is backing who. The American system is a bit different. I think they're a bit more open about it. There are corporates and large families, you know, wealthy families, who are very open about the fact that they support both the Democrats and the, and the Republicans. I'm not sure if we have reached that kind of maturity in this country, but certainly the principle should be that we ought to know who is funding who mm. so that we understand what kind of interests are behind. Mr. Harris, is the party silent on land? Because uh, Helen Zilla did mention it this weekend. Chris and Joe says, you know, your party is silent on this issue. No, absolutely not. I mean, we recognize what a critical issue it is for South Africa's future, but we also recognize how the land reform program hasn't worked mm. properly um, under the current government. So we uh, think that there's huge potential in the land reform program. Uh, we have to make sure that state-owned land, for example, which government is sitting on, is released into the program. We have to tackle the issue of uh, reform of uh, communal land. And we've piloted in the Western Cape uh, collaborative models that show where you get 
uh, farm workers funded to purchase uh, land in collaboration with the existing farmer, you can make you can get to a situation where everybody wins. So we have uh, a, a, a significant section of our manifesto deals with how to tackle land reform in this country and make sure that it works better than it currently does. But Darshan, can I just respond? Uh, I see we, we're getting close to the end of the show, mm-hmm. and I need to respond to two issues. Firstly, we, we've spoken a lot about what the DA will do to incentivize job creation, help small business, and boost skills. But there's a whole other sets of our economic policy that deals with the structural problems in the economy. The fact that we have a lack of competition. We have too many states and private monopolies that dominate sectors at the expense of small businesses. We have a, a, a bold program to take those state monopolies, those SOEs, and in, in many cases privatize them either fully or partially. Remembering, but, Mr. Harris, that I mean, government is the biggest employer in this country, so when you start to do the mess around with state-owned enterprises, aren't you affecting the job, you know, the job opportunities that no, no, because we think many of those institutions, if they are in private hands or partially in private hands, can create many, many more jobs. At a slower we, rate, Mr. Harris? No, not at all. I think, in, 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 in fact, at a faster rate. But the point is you want those, the shareholding of those SOEs to be in as broad uh, a set of hands as possible. So we, what would you privatize? What, what organizations? Telcom, ESCOM? Um, well, not Telcom. ESCOM? Or what, what other organizations would I think you privatize? There are, there are, uh, we're publishing a full list in about an hour for the uh, alternative budgets. So I'll make sure to send you a copy, but sure. there, there are, um, there are, there's potential for privatization right across the state-owned sector, um, and importantly, we have to get those shares into the hands of ordinary South Africans. Uh, then the, the, the second major structural reform is you always hear the president talk about our infrastructure promises. Mm-hmm. What we've worked out is the, the president uh, is, is leading an infrastructure program that's underspending in terms of where we should be spending on infrastructure by about 30%. So we have to solve the funding problems in South Africa that prevent us from building and maintaining our infrastructure. That's one of the major constraints to growth, and it's also holding back competition in South Africa. And then lastly, uh, and perhaps Lebo Khang uh, has... Uh, experience here in her um, in her um, work in trade matters, but I think w- when you heard what she said about the growth performance of other countries around the world, if we look at how South Africa is performing relative to countries like Chile, Turkey, Malaysia, Peru, we're growing much slower than they are, and I think it's because we're not seizing the opportunity that African growth presents. We don't trade enough with our own continent, and we've got a whole set of ideas to make sure that we make trading across borders in Africa much cheaper and easier, and make it a diplomatic priority to boost trade with Africa, then I think you'll see South Africa starting to realize its true growth potential and become properly competitive in the global economy. Ms. Peko, I mean, what do you think about that? Is it fair to compare SA to any of these countries? Um, hmm. that's, a, that's a mouthful. I think, you know, there, there are a couple of things that kind of stand out in, in Greece, because I know the show is about, is, is, is ending. The one is that, indeed, we're probably not appropriately benchmarked, uh, you know, with um, you know the so-called civet countries, including Turkey, Vietnam, etc. But I also think that that's because we are doing things very differently. Number one, we are still insisting on a far, somewhat less state interventionist uh, approach to doing business, uh, and we are trying to straddle the balance 
foreign direct investment and having a status economy. The two don't work very well together. I also think that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, privatization in and of itself, that is an extremely difficult and problematic model, mainly because of the way that market forces have a way of marginalizing people who are already marginalized and businesses even which are already marginalized. We have not seen much success with this despite the best attempts of the World Trade Organization, for example, in trying to mediate and bring about some kind of coalescence and parity in how businesses and countries do biz- uh, and, and, and countries conduct their business affairs, mainly because, unfortunately, the balance of power globally is such that it still resides with, you know, traditionally northern countries, America, the Quad countries, Japan, etc., and your new emerging economies, which still economies such as South Africa and most African economies on the back foot. I also believe that. Um, 8% is, uh, 8% growth is extremely ambitious. I, I think it's absolutely, I don't think it's realizable even within the next, um, 20 years, mainly because the kind of growth figures we have inherited and employment figures we have inherited are structural. And, you know, we're talking about intergenerational patterns of inequality, intergenerational patterns of, 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 of low growth. Um, and poor compatibility between um, potential employees and the economy that we have at the moment. So the whole range of structural issues, which I think the DA would be wise to say a bit more about, because at the moment it does look very much like, um, you know, it does look more like a, a very, very ambitious wish list of things that looking at economic patterns, looking at global exigencies, and looking at the structure of the economy, do not seem immediately realizable. I'll be back with your SMSs right after this. We at Arcelimit South Africa are committed to the sustainability of our business, the communities we work in, and the environment. But wait, don't take our word for it. Let's hear what the real experts say. In the past five years, we have spent more than 200 million rand on land remediation and rehabilitation. Asalimitar, transforming tomorrow. Umlazi Festival and Expo is awakening the giant by staging the first ever Umlazi Festival and Expo at King Zulitini Stadium from 4 to 6 April 2014. Businesses and other institutions are invited to register for the exhibition and participate in empowerment workshops. Umlazi Festival and Expo will also feature a music festival. To register, call 031-279-2360 or email ngobo at splendidmarketing.co.za. Proudly sponsored by the Guazulu Natal Department of Economic Development and tourism and Etagwini municipality. Ever wondered how long it takes to renew your TV license? Why not pop into the Savannah Mall from the 25th of February until the 2nd of March in Polokwane and put us to the test? Our friendly TV license staff will be able to update your address and contact details and even assist you with completing a monthly or annual debit order as well as accepting payments via cash, debit or credit card. What's more is, we also have an exciting competition where you can win a 32-inch LCD TV for free. So, for quick and convenient service, come and visit the TV license kiosk in the Savannah Mall, Mug and Bean Court from the 25th of February until the 2nd of March. TV licenses making a difference. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 
Some of the plans outlined in the DA's manifesto to train 15,000 more teachers a year, giving every child a textbook for each subject. The National Student Financial Aid Scheme's budget would be increased to 16 billion rand, ensuring that everyone who needs an opportunity to study can get it. They plan to create 1 million internships to give work experience to young job seekers, invest 10% of the GDP in the roads, ports, railways, airways, water and communication infrastructure, and also plan to make communities safer by putting 250,000 properly trained police officers on the streets. So some of the things, uh, aside from the economic gains that they wish to make, and of course the uh, promises of job creation, Itani Greenfield in East London says the DA fails to say how they're going to create those 6 million jobs. We're still on land reform. Uh, an unsigned SMS, why none of the parties addressing the matter of birth control, where young girls, black and white, still in school are having babies before they even know it themselves, where they will have a job one day. It's positively ludicrous. It's not a right to bring a child into a situation of poverty. This SMS uh, writes, uh, this SMS writes in saying, Helen Zilla promised to build houses for people who don't earn much money in 1978, and it was called Mitchell's Plain, Bonteville, Manenberg. Why lie now? Spi1KZN, here that the DA has a policy on land distribution focusing on commercial farms. What is their policy on other land for residential purposes? Jerry Dlamin, Nelspread, if estimated, 20,000 a number in attendance includes people bussed in from other provinces, then the DA has very little to brag about in Limpopo, considering there was no concert to counter their launch. Just some of the SMSs that we're, com- that we're getting through this morning. Mr. Harris, any other issues from the manifesto that you'd like to raise? Well, I'd just like to uh, settle the question of the Western Cape performance. Mm. I think South Africans can... Uh, see that we have a track record of, of success in the Western Cape. And that's not to say that there aren't challenges. Of course, South Africa has one of the highest levels of in, or rates of inequality in the world. And that is in, uh, that happens in the Western Cape and in Cape Town, like all around the country. We have huge service delivery challenges. The question is, is the DA in provincial and local government tackling that better than the ANC? And I think if you look at the past five years, the answer is clearly yes. In fact, the UN did a survey that found the lowest inequality of any city in the country was in Cape Town. That's not to say there isn't still a problem, but certainly we've made more progress tackling inequality and delivering, delivering basic services. Uh, we're in the Western Cape, we deliver the highest level of basic services out of any of the other provinces. And the Western Cape has the lowest unemployment by, by some distance. By 12 percentage points, we have lower unemployment than any other province. So I think the DA's track record in government in the city of Cape Town and the Western Cape in tackling South Africa's many challenges shows that our manifesto promises are credible. We've shown we can do it there. We just need a chance to show that we can uh, roll back these problems in other provinces around the country. I'm glad you gave the corresponding sources for that information because Africa Check, a, a website that checks uh, Twitter accounts, for example, public statements made by political leaders, has been checking the facts that you've been tweeting. For example, the DA claims 60,000 work opportunities that were created in the second half of last year, 31 job opportunities, and, and some of the stats that you gave us this morning. They asked for information since last year. They were not given the answers, but uh, some of the information is coming to light now. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we noted that uh, research by Africa Check, and we've, we've responded to every single one of their concerns, and we sent them a, a fully referenced uh, document that explains all of the sources for all of our um, uh, achievements in government, so we're very confident about those. But the bottom line is, uh, w- when the DA came into government in the city of the Cape Town and Western Cape, we faced a very challenging situation that we inherited from the ANC, and I think South Africans can see that in the years that we've been in government, we've turned both the city and 
and the province into the best run uh, city and province in the country. Lebahang Peko, is there enough in this uh, DA manifesto to attract a wide variety, diversity of South Africans to the polls? Um, not sure. I think I think that the, the DA will probably maintain the kind of figures, and they, they probably will be um, marginal growth across provinces, particularly um, significantly in housing. But I do I certainly think one of the things that stands out is um, apart from the, the, the concerns that I've raised around the efficacy and the possibility of, of, of a lot of the, the targets mm. around economic economic growth and employment growth is um, there's still moving, you know, kind of de-racialized um, discourse, especially on land. And I think that it's very, it's not one that can be ignored ad infinitum. Um, the issue, the question of land restitution and land reparation in this country is very, very touchy and is one that a lot of people, the African majority in particular, want answers for, which is why you get a, you know, the kind of upsurge of um, an ESS by, by young Julius Malema, for example, who seems to be playing in the sort of playground that um, the DA would like to play in, I think, in terms of the mass base the popular constituency. So there's certainly, it, it makes these coming elections extremely interesting for mm-hmm. opposition politics, and um, many of us will be watching the space with great interest. Mm-hmm. Peko, thank you so much for joining us uh, this past hour. Tim Harris, I've got a couple of quick ones for you. So what's the DA's position on fracking? Um, our position on fracking is that provided you make sure that the environmental impact is uh, is minimised, then the, the uh, hydraulic fracturing presents numerous opportunities to drive economic growth and uh, create jobs. But we have to make sure that that uh, work is done first to make sure that we protect our natural resources. The party's position on NHI? NHI, we've shown in the Western Cape that the problem with uh, health provision is not on the funding side. We have limits, as limited budgets in the Western Cape as any other province, yet we provide a vastly superior health care service. The problem is in management, it's in administration, it's in making sure that the resources you have get to the people that you need them, and our model in the Western Cape has taken those limited resources and made sure that... Uh, that people in our, in our province get adequate health care. The problem is not a financing problem. We need to fix the system in health. After our show, Rowena Bird is going to take forward the discussion about uh, Mario Ambrosini, the IFPMP, who wants marijuana decriminalized for medical purposes. We also admitted on the show last week that he doesn't really have a problem with recreational use of the drug. Uh, the DA talks about an open society where uh, South Africans choose for themselves what's best, what's in their best interest. Would you welcome the decriminalization of marijuana? Well, I think Mario's got a very strong case uh, for the, the medic, medical use of marijuana. He's tabled a bill in Parliament uh, that will allow for that, and I can't see the DA not supporting that. Thanks so much for joining us. Tim Harris, the uh, Shadow Minister on Finance this morning. Appreciate your time from the Democratic Alliance. 34701, if you'd still like to write in and give us a call tomorrow, 891 Tweet or Facebook us, AM Live on SAFM. I'm Dasha Midley. Thank you so much for joining us today from our, our producers, our technical producer as well, and myself. Have a great day. Thank you so much for your calls, your SMSs, and your comments. We'll do it again with you tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m. Stay tuned for Rowena Bird. Up next.